Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Stephen Newland. Stephen is the director of FPNA at Growth Lab Financial. He leads a team of analysts responsible for developing financial models, analyzing business valuations, and providing ongoing financial support to a number of startups and small businesses. Stephen has worked in a finance role at a variety of organizations, including startups, early stage companies, nonprofits, and Fortune 500s. He earned the Certified Management Accountant, CMA, designation in July of 2022 and holds an Honors Bachelor's of Business Administration degree in Finance and Accounting from the University of Cincinnati. Stephen, thank you very much for being my guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Megan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, today we'll be hearing your story, of course, but we'll also be learning about some of the mistakes you made throughout your journey and how you put those to good use, particularly early on in your career. And now you use those same lessons to help others too. So I'm excited to learn from you. So let's jump right in. Perfect. Let's do it. First, and as always, let's start with you and your story. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, um, I love I love starting here. So I uh, I grew up in Ohio, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and I actually uh, in college I was like I just want to get out of Ohio. <laughs> that was my that was my thought process. I, I love I love Cincinnati. I love where I'm from now. It's funny how that turns around. But um, so I actually interned down in Atlanta, Georgia, with Delta Airlines, and uh, right out of school, I you know I, I love the airline industry, so I moved there and I moved to Atlanta and uh, started my career in corporate finance at uh, at Delta. Um, <clears throat> did that for a number of years and. Um, I just really got this itch to want to go into the nonprofit world and particularly in, in, uh, the, on the personal finance side. Um, and there's, and there's a story there, uh, that I'd love to, I'd love to get into. Um, and, uh, so I went and did that, I did, uh, help people budget and pay, pay off debt for about six years. Um, so not corporate finance related, but very much finance related. And, um, so many lessons, um, that I learned on that side that are very applicable to corporate finance. Um, after that, I, I just decided I really wanted to get back in the business world. So I jumped into, uh, the startup world and, um, pretty much have been working with startups ever since. So that was, that's been about four or five years now. Um, and uh, I've been working with, uh, with various startups and now more on the advisory side. So. Uh Just curious, what do you enjoy about working for startups? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I, I imagine I it's stressful. There's, you know, there is a level of stress that some days you're like, wow, there's a, you know, the, the, this is a very stressful uh, industry or the, very stressful, I guess, size of the company. Um, I think it's just it's just you're just constantly solving problems. So I've always I've always loved that. I've always like enjoyed puzzles and solving problems. And so there's a there's more problems than there are time at startups, especially small and scaling startups. And so I think that's what, what makes them fun. Yeah. I like being a Sherlock Holmes too. And that's, um, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so as you look back on your career, are there particular stories that stand out in your mind as like a turning point? Yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was this, when I was in corporate finance at, uh, like I said, at, at Delta, um, I, I had been in the background, I had been paying off a bunch of student debt. Um, uh, so I paid off about $55,000 in the first four years out of school. Wow. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember being in my uh, in my room in college right before I graduated and I put together a plan and I said, OK, four years, I can do this if I really buckle down. And and uh, yeah, so so once I paid that off, I you know, I guess I, I always tell people I have my uh, my mid 20s career crisis. <laughs> Um, and I said, I got to go, I got to go work at a nonprofit. I got to go just help people do this. Um, and so I went to, uh, that's what triggered me to go run a financial literacy program. Um, but that was a, that was a really big turning point because I had really been, um, doing well in, in corporate finance and kind of moving up the ladder. And, um, so I got a lot of questions like, are you sure you will, you really want to do this? And so that was a big turning point for me. I'm just curious also, how did you end up at Delta? I, I don't think that they came to Cincinnati to recruit. So yeah, yeah we funny enough, we had or maybe they time. did. They're a hub, right? In Cincinnati. Yeah, we, we had a we had a hub and there was, I forget the connection. Um, we had a connection with the cargo department. That was like our our connection. And so um yeah, I, I can't can't remember the exact reason, but yeah, part of it was we had a hub up there. So okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I always forget that that's a hub um, for Delta. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think of it as a big, yeah, it's not, a, it's not what you would consider a, a bigger hub, you know, but. No, Cincinnati is a pretty small city, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a good size. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about Growth Lab, which is a finance as, as a service company and um, how it works, how they work with companies to optimize their finances for growth. Yeah, it's um you know the kind of the, the standard the bookkeeping and the tax side, but what I primarily am working with on is on the FP&A side, um, and really what we're trying to do is um, is is productize FP&A, and so we're trying to figure out you know how do we how do we we know the core things that that most customers need, most startups really need, you know they need like a forecast, they need a plan for you know, their cash flow. Um, and so that's really what we're primarily focused on is, is giving them a lens into the future through the forecasting and making sure that they're, you know, spending cash efficiently. So who would you say the ideal client is? Oh, that's such a great question. I think it's the, I think it's the, the startup who has um, kind of reached that point where they're there, they feel like, they just are wearing seven hats, you know, the CEO or the, the, the co-founders are wearing seven different hats and they're like, I've got to just look for, I've got to start offloading some things. I can't do this anymore or I can't give this the attention that it needs. That's, that's kind of when, when you know, okay, I've reached that, I've reached that perfect point to, uh, to reach out to somebody. And is it like a platform or a service or a combination of the two? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, we, you know, we're, we're primarily, we, we use a, a handful of tools internally. Um, Drab is a big one that we use for our FP&A planning, um, amongst a few others. Um, there's Basis and Sift or a couple other ones, Fathom. Um, so we kind of combine, we kind of figure out, okay, which technology is going to be the best for that customer? Um, and then we've got a, we've got a plan to, to uh, you know, kind of build their forecast within that platform. And, and, um, and we, we meet with them regularly to review that and update it. And let's switch over and talk about you and some of yeah. the mistakes you made that were early on in your career. And uh, can you share a little bit about those? Yes, I will never forget. This first one always comes to mind. I think it's, I think it's the first mistake I would, I would probably say I, I remember from my career. And it was, um, I was going in for like a financial, a monthly financial review. And I had prepped the full, you know, the full deck, ready to review it. 
um, with one of the department heads at Delta and my boss, you know, I, he always wanted to review it ahead of time. And he got his calculator out when, when, during this review and he was adding up the numbers down a column. And I, and I was like, uh, that's interesting. And then he said, oh, these don't add up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh no, this is my first, you know, my first month or two out of school. And I'm like, I've made the cardinal sin like mistake. I didn't check my formula. <laughs> Um, and so that was one I always, always remember. And so it's funny. I always have, even though I've got a calculator on my phone, I always have a calculator next to me and I find myself doing this now where I'm like, let me just check. (laughs) Um, So that is one that really stands out. So that, you know, that, that highlighted to me, especially in finance, it's the, the importance of, of accuracy and, and kind of, you know, getting the numbers right now, it's not the end of the world, but it certainly impacts credibility and, you know, trustworthiness. And so um, that is one big one. Um, this, the second one that comes to mind is not thinking of my audience when preparing or doing some sort of analysis. Um, I would just kind of jump right in and say, oh, this sounds fun. I want to go this way. You know, I want to I do this versus kind of planning it out and say, well, what would the end user, you know, how would, how would they benefit from this analysis? So I think that's another one that I really, uh, that I really learned early on. Yeah, I guess as like finance professionals, a big part of what we do is we're storytellers. And yeah. I think you're right. It's important to know your audience before you jump right in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're writing a children's book, you're going to write that very differently than yep. you would like, uh, uh, you know, with some other adult novel or something. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So talk to us a bit about how these mistakes actually you turn them around to advance your career. Yeah, I think for me, it was, um, I just, I, I made sure not to make the same mistakes, not to repeat them. And so important. Um, it really is. Yeah, it really, it really is important. And, and I think part of that is just making sure you're being intentional with your growth, not just waiting for that feedback from, from leadership, but but like, you know, if I, so for example, when I, when I missed that, when I, when I missed that formula, um, I don't know if I actually did this, but one thing that, you know, I would, I would tell somebody in my shoe and, in, 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 you know, early in their career now is I would say, okay, write that down and, and make sure like you've got a system in place now so that you don't miss that formula or there's like a check in place. Um, so I think it's just being intentional with your own growth and, when those mistakes happen, like write them down and figure out, okay, how can I fix this? How can I not make this mistake again? Um, that to me is is critical. Yeah, I guess as humans, like we're all bound to make mistakes. It's just the yeah. people that actually go on to learn something. And there is a lot to be learned from every mistake that, yeah. uh, you know, is, is doing the right thing. Well, and I bet people, you know, I've, I've only been, I've been in, in my career for coming up on, 12, 13 years now, I would venture to guess people who are 30, 40 years in, they would say the same thing. Like you're always learning. There's, you're always going, there's always going to be a a mistake or something along the way. And so there's never a time where that learning stops, I think. Yeah. Um, I can forgive like any mistake, but I, uh, the one thing that I, you know, always have a hard time with is forgiving a mistake that's made twice. Exactly. Yes, agreed. <laughs> so what skills do you believe were essential in helping you stand out and to advance more quickly within the finance organization? Yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was thinking about this a little bit too, of like um, what, 
what was helpful for me. Um, but then also now as, as someone who's, who's, you know, had the chance to lead as some, some people in finance, um, like what is, what do I think of as like, these are critical, like these are, these really, you know, stand out. And I think the three that came really to mind are, and I would, I would probably say in this order is reliability. So, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it and make sure it's, you know, it make sure it's done. If it's not on time, communicate like, Hey, it's not going to be on time, but here's why that just, the more reliable somebody is, it just takes this mental burden off of your leadership. Um, I think number two is, is being thorough. Um, and, and, you know, not just kind of, giving up a little early and saying, well, let me just ask my, my, my leader. Let me just ask them, my manager, like what they think, but like trying to like go the extra mile and say, I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to dig a little deeper than I'm comfortable. And I'm going to try to figure this thing out. Um, and if I don't know, I'll go to my, my manager and mention it. But um, so I think that's number two. And then three is clear and timely communication. So back to my f- first point, you know, if, if I committed to a deadline and I'm just not able to hit that, um, I think nine times out of 10, that's generally going to be okay. If you just proactively communicate and say, Hey, I thought I would get this done. I wasn't able to, here's what, here's my plan of action to get this done as soon as possible. So I think those are really the three in my mind that stand out far and above, um, most, most other things. Yeah, uh, especially the third one. I think, you know, yeah. people hate when they don't know if if you're working on something or yeah. like <laughs> what you're doing. So it, and you know what I would do early in my career is I'd want to look good like I had it all buttoned up, so I would wait to like respond to emails until I had the the analysis perfectly done and and you know, it's been 3-4 days and they're like this this even like is he even acknowledged but so <laughs> That was, uh, you know, that backfired a, a good lesson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about soft skills and yeah. how important those are and how people can go about developing these skills early in their career. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think time management is, is a big one. Um, especially in, in corporate finance where it feels like there's always a deadline kind of around the corner or, or there's a fire drill or, you know, I need this an hour, an hour ago kind of thing. So time management, and I would even add to that, like prioritization is, is huge. Um, I remember when I first, uh, <laughs> when I first started my career, I didn't take notes. I didn't really use a calendar. I was like, oh, I just, I just remember it all. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's so funny how just even a few years out of the, out of, you know, into your, into my, into my twenties, it was like, oh no, I can't remember all this stuff. I've got too many responsibilities and bills to pay outside of work. And I can't remember all this stuff now. And so, um, that was a big one. Um, I think the second one that I would say is, is like creative thinking and maybe even kind of, I think goes along the same lines is like just developing a curiosity, um, that, especially in finance, I think asking why and asking good questions in finance can take you so far. Um, and because, because a lot of the times you're there to, to try to point out things or like call out things in the business or highlight things that maybe somebody else hasn't highlighted. So learning how to ask those, those questions um, and just being curious, I think goes a really long way in finance. I've had a lot of people tell me that that's very important characteristic to them is curiosity. Yeah. 
I and I would even add <clears throat> maybe one more piece to that. I would say curiosity about the business that you're helping, but also even curiosity about people. Because I think um, I posted something the other uh, not too long ago about on LinkedIn about finances all about relationships. And, um, you know, one, one book that really helped me get more curious about people and developing relationships was, um, how to win friends and influence people. So that's been a really, really great kind of impactful book for me on in developing my own curiosity. Yeah. I think sometimes early on in our career, like we're, we don't really want to stand out and you're afraid to ask questions and look stupid, but um, yeah, so important to be able to do that. That's a great point about, yeah, that uh, being kind of fearful to ask questions. Um, That's a really, really good point. So, and you just mentioned this, but building relationships. So can you talk a little bit about the strategies or tactics tactics that you've used to build relationships and and win over the trust of leadership. Yeah, I and I think um, I think this goes kind of in this in a similar vein um, to what uh, one uh, one thing we talked about earlier. But it's I think build to build build trust. It, building trust is like the number one foundational thing to building a, a good relationship. And I think um, if you commit to something or if you say you're going to do something um, and you actually follow through, that is the quickest quickest way to build trust. Um, so I think, I think that is, is, uh, is key. Um, the other thing, you know, and then this is very kind of role dependent, but I know when I was at a bigger company, um, you're, I, I was like a finance person and then I reported into a department, but I was still in the finance department. And so I was kind of like an outsider. And so there's always this like skeptical, like, can we trust the finance person? Or are they just like, trying to find something like they're from corporate, like they're just trying to dig in and find something. And um, so I think, you know, when it, if you're at a bigger company, it's, it's communicating to that, to that business unit, you're supporting that, Hey, you know, I want to know your goals and I want to know how I can support your goals. Um, That's just as important to me as, you know, me kind of and what I have to do on the finance side. So I think that's just another way to kind of break down that defensiveness um, and, and uh, really build relationships. Yeah, that's great advice. I know a lot of times in finance, you're kind of looked at as like the police out there to just yes. say no and and that's it. Yes, yes. Um, I, I was going to add one more thing on that if I can. Sure. Um, I, so one way to, one other way to build relationships with leadership is just to ask this question, what is my leader worrying about at night, like what is keeping them up at night? Um, and then, and then you could even ask them that. I think it's okay to ask them that. I think that would go a long way. And and um, finding ways to alleviate that concern, um, I can't think of many other many other things that will help build trust with your leadership. If you then if you took that that proactive approach, yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. So you might have touched on this a bit with uh, the time management, but how can people succeed in fast-paced, high-pressure environments? Like particularly, you know, you said you enjoy working at startups. How do people succeed in that kind of an environment? 
Yeah, you know, for me, it's it's been a journey. I wouldn't say I've always gotten it right, <laughs> um, and there's even still some days I'm I'm trying to figure that out. But it's I think staying organized um, is really the you know when you when you've got some some downtime, it's taking advantage of that and, and really staying organized. Um, I think the second piece is, is being intentional about learning where your gaps are. So if, uh, if you're in a meeting and something comes up and you're just, you know, you kind of find yourself fumbling a little bit, or you're like, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, jot that down like real quick in your notes. And then, you know, maybe later that night or later that week, like take 15 minutes, 30 minutes and try to learn more on that topic. Um, that will, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of that whole practice makes perfect saying, right? Like you're in that, in a high pressure environment, the more prepared you feel and the more prepared you are, um, it's going to reduce the amount of pressure that you really feel in that environment. And so, um, I think that's been a good, a good tip for me. Um, the other thing, and I have not done well with this, so this is a little, I guess, hypocritical saying this, but I would say it's okay to just step away for five minutes. Like if you're, if you're kind of getting flustered, if you're, if you feel that kind of blood pressure rising a little bit, just step away for five minutes. Um, I've gotten better at this over the last, I would say year. Um, It's amazing how five minutes away from the desk can, you can come back and you're like, Oh, that was the answer I was looking for. (laughs) And so that's a, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced that same thing, but I know, I know that's, that's been helpful for me when I've actually like implemented it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not great at it either, but you're right. Sometimes you step away from a problem and come back and like the answer's right in front of your face. Yeah. You just couldn't see it because you were too flustered in the moment. Yep. That's right. Um, So how do you suggest someone that's new to corporate finance? How can they stay informed about industry trends and developments. And I think this is true. I mean, I guess no matter what stage of your career you're in, I think it's always important to to stay on top of these things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, for me, the, the one thing, so this past year I went and got the, or about a year ago, maybe a year and a half, I got the uh, CMA designation. Uh, certified. Um, thank you. Thank you. I did it with, uh, we had a newborn. Uh, we were, yeah, we had a newborn at the time. And so I looked back and I thought, okay, that was probably not the wisest timing, but <laughs> we made it through. Um, and that, you know, uh, people talk about the continuing education and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't always want to do this, but it's, it kind of forces you to stay on top of trends. And um, oftentimes a lot of the certifications and a lot of these uh, continuing education programs, they have, they're really, really great about putting out new content and new, new updates. And so to me, that's one really great way to not only level up your skills and your your confidence by getting the certification, but it kind of builds in this, you know, I've got to, to keep the certification, I've got to maintain a level of, you know, continuing ed. So um, I think that's a, I think that's one, but if you don't want to go that route, I think there's so much education, free education out there today. Um, pod, you know, I think it's just picking like what medium works well for you. Uh, podcast articles, YouTube. I've, I learned, I've learned so much about finance and kind of brushed up on corporate finance from YouTube. It's, it's amazing what all is out there. So. Yeah, that's, that's really great advice. So how will someone new to corporate finance best prepare themselves to be considered for promotions and raises? 
I mean, particularly yeah. when you're new to your career, it's not something you you want to ask for, but maybe you should be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think at first, um, I've talked a little bit about soft skills. I think, I think the first thing, like from a foundational standpoint is to have really sound technical skills. Um, but then I think what, what oftentimes happens is we focus just on the technical skill side because it's, it's a little bit more tangible, right? And we're, you know, finance and accounting people, we're like, we're, it's, I think it's easier to see us growing on the technical side, whereas it's maybe a little like, I don't know, maybe a little fluffier on the soft skill side. Um, and so, yes, yes. Um, and so I think, I think it's like getting that foundation on the technical skill side, but then really like shifting not to not, and not to like shift away and like never like work on technical skills. But then I think it's like, okay, I've got a good foundation on the technical side. How can I work on the soft skill side? Because the reality is, um, getting into management, if, if that's a goal, um, the technical skills are great, but the soft skills are really what's going to carry you in that management position. Um, and I think a lot of times it's the people who are really good at the technical skills who get promoted into the management roles and it's, and they're kind of hit with this, oh, I don't, how do I manage a team? How do, now I have, you know, how do I do this? And so I think, I think focusing on soft skills early is, a uh, is, uh, it will show that you're poised for leadership, I think. Yeah, I love that advice. I I do agree that the more you move up, um, you know, into the levels of management, the more important those soft skills become. Yeah, um, agree. Yeah, and I and I think the other piece of that is be the most prepared person walking into any meeting, even if you're there just to take notes early in your career. Um, I think I think that that can serve uh, most people really well as if they really take the time to prepare for a meeting. And when you're in the advisory role working with startups, what what is some of the most common mistakes that you see startups making? Yeah, I think, uh, and I, I actually was, I would say I didn't get this really right in some of the finance roles I've been in, but I would say managing working capital. Um, not having tight operations around accounts receivable, um, or maybe, you know, so maybe you have your accounts receivable are kind of, you know, you got some in the the 45, 60s, maybe some in the 90 days overdue, um, and maybe paying accounts payable a little too aggressively, just like when the bill comes in, I'll just pay it. Um, but as we know, you know, there's with especially with a startup, and it depends how how you're funded. If you're, you know, for a lot of startups, if you're well funded, it's you know you can kind of that's eh, okay. But um, um, I think I think getting into that habit early is always always good because there usually comes a time in a lot of startups world where the cash isn't isn't so flush, and um, so I think I think just focusing on good solid operations on working capital is is a big one. And I'm really interested to get into this, but you spent six years developing plans to help people pay off debt and and budget their resources. So how did that time that you spent focusing on the personal side of finance help you in your understanding of corporate finance? It, um, I, because of, I would, I would meet oftentimes face to face with people. Um, and I mean, 
Yeah, money is so personal, like personal finance. And so they would like lay it all out. They would yeah, say, here's really my- painful too, I'm oh, sure. Incre- incredibly, yeah. And so here's my credit card balance. Here's how much student loans I have. Here's how much money I make. I mean, like all out there. Um, and so I quickly realized the emotion and the psychology behind money because um, I saw it in front of me. You know, I'd, I'd have people of all ages uh, cry in my office. Um, and I really, for the first time, I went into that role thinking money is just numbers. It's just numbers. And I quickly, quickly realized, oh, wow, no, this is very emotional. And it's emotional on in corporate finance too. Maybe it's not as obvious, but that that really helped me understand like the foundations of how just as people we interact with money. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, especially in like the startup world where people have like everything tied up in their dreams of, of getting yes. these organizations off the ground. Yes. And and one thing I've seen with startups is, and this is true of personal finance, this is true of startups, short-term, short-term thinking happens when we have little and excess happens when we have a lot. Yeah. And so um, guarding against those is really important. So when you go out and raise, you know, around a series A or a seed, it's easy to just be like, we need this, we need this subscription, we need this, we need that, we need that. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, where'd the money go? <laughs> um, and sometimes that's true. Like what, you know, it's funny when I know I'm, 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 I'm a natural saver, but I know it's easy to like, when you get a, uh, or maybe a refund from the IRS, or if you get a raise, you're like, you've spent it before you even see it on your first paycheck or you see it, you see the check hit. And so, um, I think that's just another lesson in that is of just, uh, and then short-term thinking too, it's um, when you see that bank account dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, it really impacts your decision-making. Um, and that can be, it can result in a really bad outcome for a startup, right? And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, those are a couple of things that I've really kind of uh, discovered, I, I think, through that process. And what's one piece of advice you have for aspiring CFOs or finance leads? I am saying this advice to myself. So <laughs> um, I would say take care of yourself first. Um, it's so easy to put your career first. Um, but I would say, and this is, I, you know, I think your family and your health, like that is, is most important. That is most critical because it will, it will help you be able to have a sustainable career and not yeah. burn out and not, um, and, and this is actually an area, like in full transparency, I have got, probably the most wrong of anything I've talked about today. And so um, it's an area like I'm trying to really focus more on, um, you know, especially this year. Um, and so, yeah, this has been, this. Uh, that would be my number one advice, piece of advice. I'm going to put you on the spot. What are you doing? What, what are you doing to put yourself first? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the one of the big things is so I work primarily from home. Um, I'm in Atlanta. My my company is based out of Rhode Island. Um, one of the things that I've realized is I will go days and not even leave the house just because it's you know I, I get up work, you know, family comes home, then it's family time, and then it's like okay, rinse and repeat next day. And so, um, yeah, being more proactive with like there's a there's a local men's group that I'm joining here. Um, to get more involved, like on Friday mornings, um, actually, you know, getting out of the house to go to the gym instead of exercising at home. So those are a couple of the key things it's like um, that I'm working on. 
Yeah. I, I make sure I get out of the house almost every day to go to the gym during lunch, but that's so helpful. Otherwise, you're right. It's so easy just to stay in your pajamas for days on end and, and yeah, work your life away. Well, and it's, yeah, and it's, it's, uh, there's always more work to do, but it's, you know, it's, I think it's setting up those healthy boundaries is always a good thing. And, and, uh, and it's, and it's self-driven. This isn't like uh, company driven. This is like me and like my, you know, my natural bend to like work more. But I think a lot of CFOs and finance people are, are, are geared like naturally that way. So. Yeah, I would agree. But I do agree with you also that taking the time for yourself makes you a better leader, a better employee, um, all of it. So great advice. So lastly, what is keeping you up at night? Yeah, I think, uh, I think just the number of emerging tools out there in the finance world, it seems like it's, I I don't know if it's because I've paid more attention in the last year. It just seems like it's almost exploded. Um, there's a new tool for this, there's a new tool for that. And so it's, it's finding one, the time and resources to, you know, evaluate them, but then also, you know, Hey, is this the right one? Should, is there a better one out there that we could be using to better serve customers? So it's, uh, it's, it's staying on that front edge of the technology side. Steven, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. I, uh, I appreciate it. Any, any chance to get to share some of my mistakes and insight. I, I love it. So yeah, that's great. And yeah, so so nice of you to share your mistakes so that other people don't necessarily have to make the same ones. <laughs> that's my goal. If I can help someone <laughs> avoid something, then I, I'm happy to share. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and all of the resulting insights. And I wish you the best as we start off 2023. And to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.